0: Hello, Podwalkers, and welcome to another episode of the Goblin Lore Podcast. Before we start tonight's episode, I want to give a little bit of a disclaimer. Today on the show, we are going to be discussing suicide. Uh, This is a very important topic and something that we believe not only should be talked about, but also that this cast is kind of set up in a way that we have been wanting to discuss it for a while. Um, I initially had this idea for this episode stemming back to suicide prevention month which is in september every year but i do think that this is a topic of conversation that really should be frankly discussed and discussed openly when people are comfortable with it that said we know that this might be a topic that people do not want to engage in and we want to thank you for listening this far and we completely understand if people choose to not engage with this episode so that actually goes nicely into uh, some of the common myths that we have about suicide that I think are in some ways related to stigma, but in some ways are just related to things we don't know. Um, Mm. One of the biggest myths that I remember having to overcome, and I will say as somebody who now does this as a non-student, I am still awkward at times, uh, is that idea that uh, people had this belief or people have this belief that talking about suicide is going to lead to people committing or completing suicide or attempting suicide or is going to encourage suicide uh that was always the belief for for a long time people have had this idea that the reason you don't talk about it is you're gonna put that idea into somebody's head who had never had the idea before or really wasn't considering it and now they're going to yeah that's (sighs) that's not that's that's what we know is as we've talked about before People are having these thoughts, Mm -hmm. but they're not being asked about them. Mm -hmm. Talking about suicide is not going to make somebody that has never had a suicidal thought in their life all of a sudden become suicidal. Yeah. And
1: by not talking about it, you make people who do have those thoughts feel more isolated and unable. There's no outlet to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I will say
0: that one of the things is that we make it standard practice to ask about these things. And I they're still uncomfortable where you almost want to explain away why why you're asking it. We ask this of everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, people have these thoughts, it's no big it's almost like an awkwardness or a nervousness that comes about, even though I know that honestly, the best thing that you can do is just flat out ask.
2: Right.
3: Yeah.
0: I'm, I'm still uncomfortable with it at times.
3: Yeah.
2: What's an uncomfortable thing to talk about even the people that you're close to. I mean, it's, and it's even more uncomfortable, especially, uh, you know, when something you, when the thing you deal with most frequently is is the passive side of it is the passive end of the Mm -hmm. spectrum because people don't really have that capacity for understanding. Like, you know, it's a, it's a thought that, pops up in your head or is always in the like back of your head, like sort of quietly humming. um, They, they only get like, you're not suicidal or you are about to commit suicide. Like, you know what I mean? It's, it's one end of the spectrum of the other to people who've never had to wrestle with it, you know? Um, And so it's, it's a, it's a weird thing to say like, yeah, this is something I deal with to people who don't get the context. And they're like, oh my God, what can I do? And you're like, well, nothing. I'm good. Just let you know. (laughs) you know and that's and that's a hard thing too is is it can be pressuresome for the person going through it to talk about it too because you don't want to be a burden on other people you know you don't want people to feel like oh what can I do to help you you know you don't want to have people up in your face and up in your business and all that sort of thing
3: I feel like one thing I I'm a very empathetic person and they're working with clients and I'm learning with it one of the things that i have um experienced is um where i'll have clients you know tell me about the thoughts and feelings they've been having and i sort of get emotional and i want to do what i would do with my friends who like if they had told me that you know i would you know give them my number and say you call me anytime you need me you know give them a hug i'm like i'm here for you i will be here for you but as a professional I can't do that. I can't, you know, I can't sit down, hold them and say, you know, I'm here for you. It will be okay. And I feel like that's something that is, I'm, I'm learning to, to, to deal with, to kind of have that boundary and have those boundaries and not, not act upon that.
0: So a lot of what we were kind of talking about assembler with that idea of talking about suicide will lead in and encourage it, our myths about suicide. Um, A great resource for this actually is NAMI, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness, who have really great kind of psychoeducation sites with information about different mental health topics. And NAMI is a great organization. Um, Other things to be keeping in mind is this idea that once an individual is suicidal, he or she will always remain suicidal. Like, Mm -hmm. that's this idea that somehow if you say it once, you're going to be suicidal for the rest of your life. We actually know, and this is kind of an interesting thing that people struggle with, 54% approximately of individuals who have died by suicide do not actually have a diagnosable mental disorder.
2: Huh, really? Yes. That's like a majority.
0: Majority. Now, depression is the most common amongst it, but suicide rates are high in people with schizophrenia. Suicide rates are high among people who use substances. Mm -hmm. suicide rates are high among people who have just had a stressor and cannot deal with it and don't have a condition.
2: Wow. So you're not saying that you're not saying that that 50 plus percent is not diagnosed. It's that they don't have a condition that is diagnosable.
0: Right. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. So that, I mean, and that's even that that's even more strong. It's not just that they haven't been diagnosed, that they actually don't have something that qualified as a diagnosable. Wow. It is intense emotional pain, and for some people, that is making a decision that is impulsive, that is a one-time thing that has the consequences. Conversely, there are people that have the thoughts and have had past attempts that live long, successful lives. Um, that being said, m- most suicides don't just happen out of nowhere. Uh, I actually saw a really cool talk that showed that while substance use is associated with suicide, being high or drunk at the time of suicide is actually not as common as you would think or expect. So long-term substance use is a risk factor for somebody attempting or completing suicide. People who complete are no more likely to be drunk or high.
2: Hmm. What do they... say why that is
0: there's a belief that when people have made this decision it actually is a decision and okay. people have chosen to do it is basically is a there is thought and planning and those are why those are warning signs more than anything else especially like having a plan is it mm-hmm. does not tend to be as impulsive an, of an act as it is portrayed or as people think of it
3: hmm. that, that that's 100 percent true um with uh one of my previous internships Um, something that we would always ask of clients is, have you had thoughts of, have you ever had thoughts of harming yourself? Um, do you have a plan? Do you have intent? Do you have means? Because, you know, you could be having like these suicidal feelings or these thoughts or the passive feelings. If, you know, I wish like someone would take me out, but, or, you know, like you would have the thought, you know, like I would like to do blah, 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 but you might not have the access to do blah, blah, blah. You are just having like these thoughts.
0: So one of the interventions for suicide is to actually restrict a person's means. So if you have a person that is suicidal, it would be to remove guns from the home. It would be Mm -hmm. to remove knives. It would be to remove extra pills that have been around the house. Because when people get to that point where they have intent more so than just thoughts, they can move to the point of planning And even more so can move to the point of preparation. Those are the things that we are looking for as professionals when we're Mm -hmm. assessing for suicide. If somebody tells me that, yeah, thought about how I would do it. It is a very different statement from, I've thought about how I would do it. This is the bridge I would jump off of. I know that it is not monitored. These are the times of days that I could go do it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, definitely.
0: I'm doing it next Thursday. I mean, there, there really is kind of that. Those are the signs that we are kind of looking for is that level of detail or planning and preparation that people make.
3: Yeah. Hmm.
0: While we cannot fully predict who is going to attempt or complete suicide, we know that it has now become, in America at least, a top 10 reason that people die from it just kind of within the last couple of years has actually made its way into that. Mm -hmm. So because of that, I do want to acknowledge that there are risk factors and signs to be aware of. And these are just taken straight from NAMI. And they are the ones that inform a lot of what we do. Um, Mm -hmm. Family history. Mm -hmm. As I said before, substance use. Um, access to means, serious or chronic medical illnesses, gender. So although more women than men attempt, men are more, four more times as likely to die. Hmm. Yeah. This tends to be due to choice of means more so than anything else. Okay.
3: That was something that I remember uh, hearing about in school, and that kind of shocked me. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly be- because of the difference of means. Um, I don't. I don't want to get into too, too much detail about that.
0: No, mm-hmm. men choose to t- tend to choose means that are more lethal, and when they attempt, they tend to be more
3: successful. Agreed.
0: Yeah. Um, history of trauma, abuse prolonged stress, a lot of stressors over a period of time, isolation, age. So age is another one that tends to be young and old are actually your highest risk factors. So under 24, over 65. Uh, Recent tragedy or loss and agitation and sleep deprivation. Race can play a role. So... um, Actually, um, American Indian or Native American is actually the highest rate, followed by um, white males. Yeah. There are some signs to just be aware of. You know, people doing things that are putting their affairs in order, giving away possessions, saying goodbye. Um, They're actually and this is one that is counterintuitive is mood shifts from despair or actual sadness to calm can be a risk or a warning sign
3: yeah it's sort of a an expression of resignation Mm
0: -hmm. Hmm. now one of the things that we know is there is help talking about it. And I want to really hammer home over and over again today that being willing to talk about it, to be willing to ask about it. That comes from the perspective, if you have a friend that you're worried about, don't be afraid to ask. That is advice I can give you (laughs) with well within my ethics thing is don't be afraid to ask somebody. Because once Mm -hmm. again, if somebody is thinking about it, You talking or asking about it is not going to be the thing that pushes them. Right. If they're you're not going to put thoughts in their head that they weren't having.
3: Yeah.
0: Therapy has been found to be effective. Um, once again, and this is something I think we've talked a lot about on this show, therapy, which is can be the cognitive behavioral or other ways. It's not necessarily about eliminating the thoughts. It's yeah. managing and coping with. That's why we started today with talking about self-care.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, to kind of go off of that, that's kind of why I've been very attracted to um, acceptance and commitment therapy mm-hmm. because it doesn't really focus on you know fixing. And I'm doing air quotes around fixing y'all can't see. Fixing yourself or changing yourself. It's just sort of like sitting with it. And, you know learning ways to to handle the thoughts and feelings you've been had rather than just shoving them down mm-hmm. or, or trying to to make you feel like you're broken all together and that's why i really like acceptance commitment therapy
2: i know too one thing um that the author that i quoted in that article that i wrote um that she talks about um anna borges uh wrote this piece that i quoted and and she talks about you know um some of those i guess kind of a cross an informal cross-section of uh self-care and um you know sort of coping mechanisms type of thing where she she sort of categorizes these things as passing drift which she she sort of gives this metaphor of floating in a sea and and that's how she deals with her passive suicidal ideation And so some things that are smaller, more insignificant to her are driftwood that she can, you know, hang on to for a little bit before it gets too waterlogged. Um, So finishing a book that's been taking up brain real estate for years. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe tonight, you know, it'll be the night I meet someone halfway decent on Tinder. They're shallow motivators, hardly anchors to life, but sometimes you just need something that will get you through the month or week or night. Um, But she also mentions the things that she calls her life preservers, things that are much stronger, um, medication, her crisis safety plan that she has for herself. Um, Mm -hmm. she says my cats who depend on me and, and something too that I alluded to before the thought of, you know, transferring some of that hurt to, to people that you love and care about, um, that stuff for somebody going through those thoughts and, and feelings and, and pains and, and worries. Um, That that is stuff that keeps you much sturdier, and I can say actually that I have all four of those things, including the cats. So,
0: (laughs) well, and I will say too that one of the things that I really liked when you linked that initial article from her, Mm. um, the whole idea of a crisis plan or a safety plan, the key to it is that it is something that the person is using not just something that you write down on a piece of paper right. but that mm-hmm. it's put in a place where it's being reviewed with the person that people that are close to them that they trust have access to it that it is being shared with their providers if they have it family members but the idea is that it is it's something that we often talk about doing when somebody is in a more stable spot mm-hmm because it is how to prevent that crisis from happening or what can help with it. So at that point they are able to give permission to involve other
3: people. I actually wrote an article for um Masters of Magic. Um the uh I wrote about a crisis uh kit that I feel mm. is is always good to have with you just like having like a personal crisis plan to, you know, keep in your wallet where like your crisis plan could be, you know, Things that you would do to sort of de escalate yourself in that situation, or people who you can call and talk to, and you know, you alert these individuals ahead of time that I have this crisis plan in place, or even when you are in a, a, a place where you, you're feeling, you know, sort of triggered, you have these things set aside to sort of soothe you and calm you and sort of help de escalate you from where you are. I mean, I think that those are very important to have. Um, whether it be, you know, having suicidal ideation or you are, your, your anxiety is being triggered because you're in a place with a lot of people. I feel like having a crisis plan or a crisis kit set aside is something that should be normalized. Um, and I, I personally really buy into crisis prevention plans.
2: Yeah yeah absolutely and I, I think you've talked about that in the past alex when we did our episode on how to you know how to go to a convention successfully sort of thing where just having those ideas of you know even even not in the realm of uh, suicide but just like for stress and and anxiety you, i think you said stuff like you know nowhere where you can go to relieve some of that social pressure in in that convention center or what whatnot
1: yeah and and like for for me one of the first things that i did that really helped me at conventions was i gave myself permission to spend time in the in my hotel room i gave myself permission to run back to my hotel room basically um also like i i spent a lot of time listening to books and music and podcasts and things and so like i'd always bring um earbuds but then i would put them like in a pocket somewhere i wouldn't use them that weekend even as i I wasn't part of the con i was just going to restaurants and things because maybe there's con people around but i always had them with me because again that was if i need to i have permission to retreat here is here is my retreat and i used to joke with my friends that i don't have cable but i love watching the food network and most hotels have food networks so i'm like worst case scenario i spend the weekend in my hotel room watching the food network and hey that sounds like a good weekend too that literally sounds like most nights of my week since Gwen's been born.
3: <laughs> and I just ate.
0: I'm like, yeah, Gwen can learn to make this. She can cook this. Her knife skills are shit right now, but she's going to get
4: there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, man. To kind of tie this show together and end, we wanted to discuss about the fact that there are some both online and uh, phone numbers that are available as resources one that I want to mention that is not one of the typical ones is 311.org. So 311.org will actually take you to mental health services that are available in your area. This can be used, um, it's a useful way to find low-cost clinics if you're looking just to try to get engaged with some mental health care. 311.org is a very good place to just be able to see, is there a sliding scale clinic in my town? Is there places that might take free or low-cost um, in- or my insurance or they're a great place to start if you are having thoughts of wanting to harm yourself there are great resources that are available there is what is now called the crisis line Um, one reason that we are even moving away from the designation of a crisis line is this idea that you do not need to be in crisis to call these really are places that you can reach out to if you are just having a tough time it does not have to be that you're at the point of thinking about suicide The national one for the US is 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-TALK. One thing to keep in mind, as soon as you call, if you are a veteran and you press one, you will be taken directly to the veterans crisis line. Your local area may have other warm lines that are staffed at different times of the day. They may not be available 24 hours, but it's always a good thing to have those numbers available. For people that um, might be looking for services or for crisis lines that are more friendly to LGBT, um, there is the trevorproject.org, PFLAG. Uh, under the suicidology.org, there are resources for LGBT. And just a week or two ago, translifeline.org opened up two call lines, both in the U.S. and Canada. That U.S. number is 877-565. 8860 and the one in Canada is 877-330-6366 there are other worldwide lines and we will include those um, numbers for you in our show notes yeah. really want to thank you all for staying with us and uh, having
4: this discussion that's our show you can find the podcast at Goblin Lore Pod on Twitter or email any questions, comments, or concerns to goblinlorepodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to support the Friendly Neighborhood gobslugs, you can do so at patreon.com slash goblinlorepod. This episode of Goblin Lore was hosted by Hobbs Q, who you can find on Twitter at Hobbs Q. This episode was written and co-hosted by Alex Newman, who you can find on Twitter at Alexander New M. Engineering, editing, and production for this episode by Joe Redeman, who you can find on Twitter at Findhorn. That's F Y N D Horn. Our music is by Vintergaten, who you can find at Wintergaten.com. That's winterg-a-t-a-n.com. Logo by Stephen Raphael on Twitter at Stephen Raffle. Goblin Lore is a presentation of Hipsters of the Coast, which you can find at Hipsters of or at HipstersMTG on Twitter. Thank you all for listening. And remember, goblins, like snowflakes, are only dangerous in numbers.